you're listening to The Geek Awakens with Mitch, Matt, Tabitha, and Lydia. Hey everyone, uh, Mitch here with another edition of the Artist Alley Spotlight. This time I am joined by David Whalen from uh, Correct Handed Comics. Uh, David, how's your day going so far? Going good, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Correct Handed... I'm sorry, I keep messing this up. <laughs> tell us a little <laughs> bit about Correct Handed Comics. Sure, yeah. So about... Uh, always been a, a fan of, of comic books since... Uh, five years old. Um, it's the thing that uh, got me into actually reading. And then I graduated into reading books. Graduated might be the wrong word, but uh, uh, it helped me to uh, have a lifelong uh, love of, of learning and reading. Um, and as I grew up, realized that I love to draw also. So um, grew up being that kid that was always drawing on his homework, draw, you know, getting in trouble in math class for uh, drawing Batman instead of doing my math homework. And uh, uh, always knew that I wanted to create comic books. So in my 20s, still drawing, but kind of having a little bit too much fun, wasn't quite ready to be able to uh, to get the job done, to do the, the, the amount of work that I knew it was going to be able to take to be able to be the creator that I wanted to be. So um, about maybe 10 years ago, I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I think I'm ready. I, I've, I've got the work ethic down. I've got my style down. I think I'm, I'm ready to go. So I started just reaching out to smaller press companies um, saying, hey, you know, you need a, a, something for anthologies. You need a five pager. You need a one shot. You need a this or that. Um, and I did that for about maybe a year, year and a half and really started to uh, to hone in on not just uh, drawing, you know, the comics themselves, but the, the ins and outs of being able to produce and be able to um, get a comic out into the real world. About two years into that, I said, I, you know, I think I got this. I think I'm ready to, to start uh, uh, the story that I've been wanting to tell since I was 17 years old. So I um, started putting together uh, my, my flagship title, The Offspring, and, and uh, got it out about seven years ago. Um, I, the, the fun thing was, when I first started, I said, okay, what am I going to call my comic book company? And I had a few different ideas. I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm a child of the 80s. So I had a few ideas of like different things that I loved as a kid that I knew people my age would and maybe people who were into a little nostalgia would like. Um, and, and then I you know, was putting things together and, and nothing really clicked the best way I wanted it to click. Um, so one day I was um, sitting around just remembering my time as a waiter because I worked as a waiter for 20 years and uh, was writing something with, you know, writing something down and I'm left-handed so I started remembering the joke that I would always tell all oh, people go so always a lefty always a lefty always a lefty I'd hear that all like 20 times a shift always a lefty oh look he's a lefty oh look he's a lefty um, <laughs> and older, older people would even say oh look he's a lefty he's got the devil in him it's like oh okay that's a really weird thing to say but okay sure great <laughs> So I started remembering that that old joke that I or that or that thing that people would tell, and I'd say, "No, I'm not. I'm not left-handed. I'm correct-handed. There's right-handed, and there's correct-handed. I'm correct-handed." And they go, "Oh, okay, correct-handed, correct-handed. Ho, 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 funny." And I that I would have to tell that joke a million times. 
So I thought correct-handed comics, that sounds pretty good. It's got a visual right there of left-handed and it fits right there in the palm, correct-handed comics. So I started like uh, um, mocking up a, a little drawing by tracing my own hand and putting all the words in there and then getting into Illustrator to be able to uh, to be able to make the logo. And, and before you knew it, I had the logo ready to go and I loved it and, and started like shopping it around and people like, yeah, that's a great looking logo. Very like uh, very memorable and, and very easy to, uh, to, to see. Um, and I, and from there, it just kind of spiraled into getting the first few issues of The Offspring done. I'd say the first year, um, I was able to get four issues of The Offspring out. Now, seven years-ish into it and, and multiple titles into it, I could probably get six issues in a year, um, which I've heard from other people is fairly quick for a, a, a one-man band for an indie comic creator like me. So it's, it's working out pretty good, and I, I love what I'm doing, and I... I have no um uh, uh no plans to stop anytime soon awesome and as someone who has also spent his fair share working in restaurants waiting tables uh, <laughs> the the idea of being told the same joke like 20 times in a shift like yeah. that yeah. i felt that in my soul like <laughs> yeah. i think that it's one of those jobs there's a few jobs that every person should have to do for at least six months and i think that working in some capacity in a, in a restaurant is one of those jobs that should be mandated for everybody for at least six months <laughs> i so they can truly understand <laughs> i i agree a hundred percent uh yeah. that or retail during the holiday season like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That one thing you saw online on Black Friday—that's not—it's not Black Friday anymore. But you still want the discount? That's not a thing. Nope, <laughs> not not a yeah. thing. Not a thing. The customer's not always right. <laughs> yeah. In fact, eh, more often than not, but eh, let's not, not go there. Yeah. Let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh. You touched on your flagship title, The Offspring, uh, which issue 25 was recently released. Uh, what is the story on The Offspring so far? So this is a story that I've had. Uh, like I said, um, it's it's that one that I've had since I was probably 17 or 18 years old. I, I wanted a, a, a book that I knew because I'm a big fan of different genres. Um, I try to, uh, and if you see my one-shot series, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, um, I, I'm a big fan of different genres. I don't like to pigeonhole myself into one superheroes or sci-fi or, or horror or, or any of those things. I like to be able to, um, to be able to flex my muscles, my writing muscles, and all those different genres. So when I came up with these characters, I wanted characters that that felt like real people to me. So I bet like a lot of writers do, I base them off of people that I knew in my real life. Um, I wanted these characters to have problems that, that real people have in the real world. Um, and, and problems that oftentimes are not going to get fixed in a 24 page comic book are not going to get fixed at all. These three characters, Will, Vince and Sarah that we meet at the, at the first issue are characters that were mentally and physically abused as children. Uh, they, for reasons that I get into further on into the story, um, start to develop these powers based off the way that they were abused by their parents at home. They are taken from their homes um, uh, and put into a alternative school where they meet and realize, oh my gosh, we, the three of us, and there are many other kids in the school and they're just normal kids, the three of them are the only ones with powers, and they start to realize that they're not just, they don't just share this ability to have these superpowers, they also share a real deep mental connection to each other. 
Um, and as they start to grow and maybe even uh, they graduate from the alternative school and they kind of go their separate ways, uh, something happens near this alternative school that makes them come back to the community that they grew up in um, and start to realize that they their powers have augmented because they're together. And they start to realize that they're kind of a beacon or a magnet for craziness, for monsters, for for cult leaders, for different crazy things that, that happen around them. And they start to, as they're trying to deal with all these problems, they start to realize that maybe they they are the ones that are causing some of these problems as the, as the series continues to grow on, uh, to go on. So um, it really is that story where I wanted to make sure that these characters, one, felt like real people, had problems that were not going to be solved by punching the bad guy in the face, um, that they interacted with each other, and you knew which character was talking, even if you, like, if you were to read it out loud to somebody you could tell which characters were talking because it, the three main characters have very distinct voices um you know which one is going to is going to react in different uh, by the time you get through the series you start to feel which characters are going to react in certain ways one is going to run one is going to is going to stop and think about it one is going to run in head first punching things without think, without thinking about it um so i really wanted those characters to feel real so um I also wanted to create a story that I could flip the flip the characters and the genre and the storyline on its head from time to time. So the first four issues is very much like a, a crime thriller uh, with monsters in it. Um, then we get into the next couple storylines where each character gets to shine in a two issue uh, two issue storyline, um, and it kind of shifts a little bit more to sci fi action. Uh, and then I get into uh, the next storyline, which brings some of the the, the major storylines together for the end of season one, where it's definitely sci-fi um, action adventure. They go into they're like in this like ethereal realm uh, where these godlike creatures have been have been messing with them essentially. So um, it's definitely one of those stories that there's a weaving thread through all of it, but it allows me a chance to be able to. Uh, to be able to switch up the genre, switch up the things that these characters are doing and going through to the point where uh, by the middle of season two, which, which is uh, the end of season two at uh, issue 25, by the middle of season two there, we, we start time traveling. Uh, so uh, so I'm uh, super excited. I'm right in the middle of like the time travel stuff right now in season two uh, going into season three. Uh, so it's one of those things where uh, it's really super fun for me to be able to jump from genre to genre, but still keep that ongoing thread throughout the entire story. That that sounds that sounds phenomenal. Um, but it's it's pretty fun. <laughs> but that said, I mean, twenty five issues it's no small feat these days, especially for you know an indie creator. Uh, do you do you have more of the Offspring planned? Like, what's what's next for the Offspring? Yeah, I've got um, every season planned out. Um, I'm going up to uh, 54 issues, so there's an end. Um, and I know exactly what the last page, the last line of the story is going to be. Uh, it's um, it's all planned out. Like I said, I've had these characters in the story for a long time. While the characters in the story have grown, because I've grown as a person and an artist and a writer, the the um, the over uh, encompassing themes um, has have not changed, which is. Um, family, which is uh, which is dealing with trauma, which is working through that trauma, which is uh, trying to uh, be a better person and be be somebody who grows and changes and not just stay stagnant. Um, so all those themes uh, are still all have always been there. Um, but as um, 
I've been developing the series for, for a long time, uh, I've been able to really hone in on those things. And, and I know exactly where I'm going. I know what season three is going to look like. It's a, it's a huge, big time travel season where the end, I think, is going to be like really cool to draw and really cool for people to see. It, it's got this, this ending that is, <laughs> I don't want to say too much, but, but I, um, I'm super excited for people to see it. I think that uh, issue 25, which is the end of season two, um, really, uh, really honed in on what what time travel means for this for this series, um, why they're doing it, um, how they're jumping through time, and what it's going to mean for these characters as they as they move forward. It's going to get it's going to get real dark real quick <laughs> for these characters, and, and I'm excited to do it. It's uh, it's one of those things that um, um, that as I do it, I know that I'm getting better and better and better and better as I go. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really starting, it's really starting to get where it's less stressful and more fun that I, that I know that I can create the story that I want to create. It's, it's been awesome. And that's, that's gotta be like a fantastic feeling. Like once, like, you know, like you have kind of gotten into your groove and it's like, okay, now, you know, you've worked out all the, all the kinks and everything like that. And you can now just, more 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 or less you know smooth sailing but <laughs> sure, sure. yeah the first season you know there's growing pains i mean any tv show any you know book series any whatever you know you're going through that learning process of finding your feet of finding your voice of finding whatever um and i think that season one was real issues one through 13 turned out really well i think it ended with a bang um and visually the best that i've ever done as the one-man band kind of creating everything um, but season, once I got into season two, I was like, oh, I, now I got it. Now I, now I know my voice and now I know where, where I'm going with this. And, and it's, uh, and like I said, it's been, uh, super fun. So let's shift and talk about a couple of the other books that you've done. Um, one of the books that caught my eye, it's a one shot, one shot. It's called, I won't stop. Um, and you put the protagonist in this book, you, you put this, this poor guy through a lot. So tell us yeah. a little bit about this book. Yeah. That's one thing I'm, I'm not, I don't go easy on my characters. <laughs> every, every single one of my characters, like people have said that to me at combo conventions or, or if, uh, you know, they message me on through my website or on my Facebook page or any social media, they're like, wow, you, you like to put your characters through the ringer. And I, and I really do. So for I won't stop. Um, I I wasn't sure if I ever wanted to do like a just a traditional superhero story because that's I mean the big two do that every day all day. They're the experts at it. They've got that under control. Um, I wanted to tell kind of different stories, but luckily for me, the way that I um, the way that I kind of process my storytelling is if a story comes into my brain. And I and I kind of think I really understand the theme and the story that I'm trying to, to tell. Um, I can I can get out a a, um, um, a quick script, which my scripts are very very loose um, because I do a lot of the writing in my thumbnails. So I'll I'll put out a quick like just bullet pointed. This is what I want to happen. Da 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 da. I'll do the thumbnails and then I'll jump right into uh, the uh, pencils and inks. Um, and my one shots, I, they're not colored. They're all black and white, which I really enjoy doing because it kind of frees me up as an artist and I have to worry about colors. Um, but for I Won't Stop, I wanted to see a traditional superhero um, break down. <laughs> I wanted to see a traditional superhero not be able to handle, not be able to uh, physically, mentally 
uh, and emotionally handle what they were happening and what that what that would do to this character. So um, this superhero Captain Marvel type uh, character whose name is Spiral. So that kind of gives you a little hint <laughs> on what's what's going to happen to the character as he goes through. Witness is an event that that crushes him. That will crush anybody in his situation. So he, being the hero that he is, says nobody should have to go through that kind of situation. Nobody should have to feel what that superhero is feeling. So he takes it upon himself to save everyone, to not stop heroing, to make sure that nobody, as 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 push himself as hard as he possibly can to make sure nobody has to go through those situations again. Um, and as we get through the 24 pages of that issue, you start to see the the mental and physical toll that takes on him. Um, and in the end, the, he, the villain that kind of, the kind of crosses the line with him that, that makes him cross that line uh, that makes him uh, realize that um, while he's trying not to stop saving the world, he's still just a physical being that, that's, um, that has flaws and, and will make mistakes. Um, I really like the, the ending bad guy because he kind of seems just like a loser jerk bad guy, um, but he's the one that's able to push his buttons to the very end. Um, and, uh, and I think it ends in a way that, that is um, satisfying and fun, but also leaves it open to be able to do things more with that character if I, if I want to later. So one of the books that like we we have to talk about based on the title alone is the sock hop killer. Um, mm. I'm sold, <laughs> but you know, for anybody who isn't on the name alone, tell us about mm -hmm. this book. So big fan of the 80s slasher genre, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, uh, um, uh, all those characters, Freddy Krueger and Jason and and all that. Uh, love those movies growing up. Uh, I would be in the basement quietly trying to watch them. So my parents didn't know at you know seven, eight, nine years old that uh, that I was watching these kind of movies, and they were freaking me out. Uh, loved them, loved all of it. Uh, and so when I when I started creating these one shots, I was like, I know I need. I need that kind of story. I need that kind of character. But I didn't want to do just a regular thing. So I was, um, every once in a while, I was a runner in my youth. So every once in a while, I tried to, to, to go out and run through the woods and, and feel like I'm still in shape as an old man. Well, I was running through the woods. And you get that feeling in the back of your, your neck, like your hair start to stand up a little bit. And you're like looking around like, is there somebody else here? And that, that kind of woke me up to that feeling of, the you know jason walking through the the woods and you're about to get slashed i'm like okay so i'm going to take the rest of this run and i'm going to figure out my character that that would be going around slashing these people so i knew that i wanted a female protagonist antagonist female slasher character um and i wanted to do something visually that would um create a little bit of nostalgia for people uh so the immediately i thought of the 1950s i love the 1950s greece and you know all the all those the visuals of the pink skirts and the and the the you know the flip haircut and the the leather jackets so i thought what if i have a slasher character female that's wearing the poodle skirt that's wearing the little scarf little neckerchief scarf um, and created a mask that i that i think kind of embodies like feminism but yet psychoness um, so she's got like eyelashes that are kind of bleeding and the really red lips that, uh, uh, that, um, uh, that, that you would see. Uh, so I came up with this character and called up a buddy of mine whose name is Paul Dolsky, who does the uh, um, uh, Everlasting Haunt podcast. 
He does a whole bunch of other stuff. He, he is the guru of horror as far as I'm concerned. I called this guy up and I said, hey, I've got this character and I have a loose idea, but I don't have the glue. I don't have the glue that holds it all together. And I talked to him for about 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, we came up with the whole script for the 24 page, but more than, more than enough for 24 pages, probably three or four more books uh, to be be able to create this character. So the one thing that I thought was really fun was, ta- was that he came up with was taking this um, pink lady, s- poodle skirt wearing killer, but she is in contemporary. She's in, she's in our time right now and kind of going back and forth through time to figure out how this character goes from the 1950s slashing people to now slashing people. And I think that uh, the, the, the main teenager, because you have to have a main teenage girl, running around screaming of course i think she really connects yeah she really connects the threads of why this character is in the 1950s and again it ends in a way i think that is really fun uh but again leaves it open to be able to to create more with this character if i want to paul is actually working on uh, book two right now i think we're probably going to get that out 2024 probably um hopefully maybe even a halloween time but it really was just my homage my love letter to to 80s uh, slasher thrillers and i and i think it turned out really really well and and with the 1950s you know a, a calling a dance a sock hop just made perfect sense to me to call her the sock hop killer perfect choice for the name like 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. I, I i think i at the beginning i called her the poodle skirt killer and i was like that's okay but I could do. I kept on thinking about. Kept on thinking, Mike. And then I started telling. We used to uh, when I went to middle school. There was a YMCA right down the street where they would have dances, but they didn't call them dances. They called them sock hops. So that's how I got introduced to the term as a thirteen-year-old. And it always stuck in my head. I even tell my kids, I'm like, "Oh, you're going to sock hop tonight?" And they're like, "Dad, stop being a, <laughs> stop being a jerk. It's not a sock hop. It's just a dance. Stop calling it a sock hop." So it was one of those terms that just stuck in my head. And when I remembered it, I'm like, sock hop killer. Got it. That's it. That's perfect. <laughs> so for anyone who's listening to this podcast and they don't like comics, uh, you've also got that covered with a spaghetti Western novel. It's called The Last Ride to Tyburn. Um, so tell us about the story and also tell us about why you chose to go with a completely different format for this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when... My wife and I met, we lived in Florida, um, and I'd always been creative. I've always been, you know, thinking of stories in my brain, like so many others in my position who's a writer, a creator, or, you know, someone who uh, um, uh, does comic books. Um, I had always loved Westerns, so I would always kind of just come up with, like, short stories and jot them down, and not you just push them to the side and not really do much with them. Um, but when my wife and I met in Florida, we had decided about 10 years into it to move back to her hometown. Uh, up here in upstate New York, where I make the joke, it's a it's a one horse town, and the horse died a year ago, like died ten years ago. So there's <laughs> there's it is literally like not like nothing is around. Very nice community, very nice people. I work at school down the road, um, but there's not really much to do. So um, I saw it as moving here and not really knowing anybody, not having anywhere to go. I saw it as an opportunity to be able to. I've got this story. I like Westerns. I've got a story that I think is really cool. Let me see if I can just start busting out this novel. Well, 
within the first year I, I had done. So I, so it was a lot of sitting there with my drink and just, yeah, okay. Well, that sounds cool. Let's write that down. Da, 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 da. Okay. Sitting here. Okay. Let's watch a Western now. And, and, you know, let's watch something else. And now let's start typing again. Um, and like I said, within a year I, I had it all written. Um, the reason I didn't turn it into a comic book um, the answer is, I don't know. I, I just thought that it was a good, I thought it worked better as a novel. Um, I think the characters, um, worked really better as a novel. Um, and I think that again, the, the themes that ran through the whole thing, um, just worked better for me writing it, um, in a, as a traditional novel rather than a comic book. So, uh, I do have a second book in the works i'm probably four chapters four or five chapters in and it's a like a horror ghost story types um type character again i try not to pigeonhole myself into one genre um and it's it go it's going pretty good but going slowly because now i'm 15 years into living up here and i've got the the you know all the things that we do and they're you know working on the comic books and the day job and the kids have swim practice and, and golf and all that kind of stuff so um so the time that I had 10 years ago to be able to just sit at the computer and type isn't always there, but I still try to get on at least once a month for an hour and just try to bust out a few paragraphs or bust out a chapter if I can. So I'm hoping in the next five years to get that next book out. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so you, you've mentioned it a couple times before you're, you're kind of like the one man band for, uh, for correct handed comics. You do writing and the, and the illustration for, pretty much everything I, I i noticed a couple titles you co-wrote but that's beside the point yeah how do you do it <laughs> uh it, it can be tricky you know i i like working with other people but i found that here when i first started in in uh working with those really small press books um i noticed that there was one of the things that i noticed that i think is a thing that that um that stops the production of books is when there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, there will be one person who wants to start a comic book company, but maybe isn't an artist or doesn't write or draw, but likes comic books and tries to bring people together, which is admirable. And I really appreciate when people try to do that and, and it works, it's great. Um, but there were times that I kind of saw all that kind of falling apart because you'd get, you know, you'd have this loose idea for a story as the one who's, you know, producing the comic book or, the, you know, true, who has the combo company. And then you bring in a writer and then that writer has a whole bunch of other ideas and then you bring in an artist and the artist, you know, is, is trying their best to be able to, to put down your, you know, your idea in, um, in pictures. Um, and sometimes, and I saw that with so many cooks in the kitchen, it was very hard to be able to get even one issue done. So a lot of times you'd see one issue of a book that looks great. Maybe it looks great or the story is compelling. You like what you're seeing, but another book doesn't come out for another year. Um, or it's, a, you know, it's a, in an anthology and they're saying, now look out for the four-issue miniseries of whatever it is, but that, that never comes out. So while I enjoy working with other people and I, like you said, I'll reach out to people that I, that I really like talking to and, and know have expertise in certain things. Um, I will reach out to those people and I really enjoy working with them. Uh, being a one man band and being able to put it all together on my own really gives me, um, like I, the buck stops here. If I don't get that book out, it's my fault. 
it's nobody else's. It's not the company. It's not because I'm the company. It's not the writer because I'm the writer. It's not the artist because I'm. It's not the colors because I'm the colors. So um, setting those deadlines for myself and setting those those goals to be able to get five to six books out in the year, um, really as a one man band, there's nobody to blame but myself. And that's kind of the best way I work. Um, if there's other things going on, oh well. Johnny said he couldn't get to those two pages until December and it's October, you know, so I guess we're waiting for him to do whatever it is, um, which, you know, it happens from time to time. But if I'm not getting the job done, um, I can easily just kick myself in the butt to get the job done and be able to get those pages done. So it really does just work out for me to, to kind of put myself in a hole, to be able to do that writing, do that art, that uh, drawing, do that coloring, do that lettering get it out and, and have people see it and hope that they like it um, because there's nobody else to blame if it doesn't happen. Yeah. And as somebody, you know, like on the, the other side of the comics business, you know, as, as a consumer of comics, I can't tell you how many times where like, yeah, I'll pick up like a first issue of something and be like, Oh wow, this was really cool. Whether it's, you know, at a comic shop or at a con or whatever. And then I'm waiting for issue two. I'm looking everywhere for issue two. And then it's just, it never happens. Yeah. It even happens with the big boys from time to time. Yeah, if you remember exactly. a couple of years back, Kevin Smith had a, I, I think it was Spider-Man Black Cat series, something. And, and there was like two years in between issues one and issue two. So it, it happens even, I mean, it happens with everybody, but I didn't want that to happen with me. I wanted consistency and I wanted people who, um, who were looking at my books and considering buying my books, knowing that the books are coming, knowing that they're, they're come hell or high water those books are going to, are going to come and you're going to get a full story um, from me on these characters that hopefully people enjoy. And like, I also know that it's hard for some people as an indie creator, it's hard for some people to jump on board for a long-term story like the offspring. That's going to be 54 uh, issues. My hope is now that I'm at 25, people know that I'm serious <laughs> and know that I'm going to get that 54. Like uh, it's, it's like I say, come hell or high water, it's going to happen. But that's one of the reasons why I started the one shot series and have a couple other matters. I have a four issue mini series. I have a hundred play page graphic novel out also. But that's one of the reasons I started the one shot series because I wanted people to, if they were a little felt that it was a little daunting to start a, a you know whole big long store, term story, that they could pick up a couple one shots, get a feel for my writing style, get a feel for my art, and if it was something that they liked, hopefully that would be a bridge to be able to say, all right, let me give the first season of The Offspring a shot. Um, and hopefully they stuck around enough for season two, season three, four, five, and, and beyond. So um, it's that's worked out really well for me to be able to um, have those one shots. And people say, because of your one shot of, of Will Aliens Do My Homework, I picked up volume one of The Offspring. Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, to be able to bridge that, that, um, that hopefully fan base to be able to, uh, hopefully they like everything. So you kind of mentioned earlier, uh, you're a teacher by day. Do your students know that you also create comics? They do. Yeah, they do. And, and sometimes I'll have parents ask me about it. Or I'll have students ask me about it. Sometimes I will have students who love comic books who will come and talk to me about it and we'll sit and we'll talk about comics and, and do, do other things like that. I actually started um, a couple of years back, um, not a traditional art club. I used to do a traditional art club, but now I do a comic book club with uh, my fifth graders to where they can come and they can read comic books. Cause up here in this very rural, rural area, 
Um, there's not a comic book shop for a mile in any direction, or if I'm for, sorry, for an hour in any direction. They're pretty far away. So a lot of these kids don't get access to just normal comic books. So there, there may be there may be graphic novels or manga in the libraries up here and all that kind of stuff. But to just be able to pick up an old issue of Iron Man is not something that these kids are able to do uh, um, on an everyday basis. So I started this and brought a whole bunch of my old books, a whole bunch of trades that that I know they had never seen before. And we talk about comic books and we talk about characters and we talk about putting together a page and we talk about you know uh, drawing people. Um, and how they do that. And and so far, like I said, uh, this is um, three years into it, I think. Uh, so far, the kids really love, even kids that maybe don't love comic books come because they love to be able to draw and read. So um, it was something a little bit different that I started that I, that I has been pretty successful. And I'm hoping that I'm creating lifelong comic book fans out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fifth grade Mitch would have absolutely like devoured <laughs> something like this. That, that sounds yeah. so fun. <laughs> So, yeah, it was, and when I was a kid, I I wasn't um, surrounded by people that loved comic books as much as I would. There would be a, my buddy, hey, I'm going to buy com buy comic books at the Circle K. Do you want to come with me? Um, okay, I'm not going to buy any comics, but I'll come with you to get a candy bar. Great, no problem. And then they'd start reading, and they'd be like, oh, this isn't bad, you know. So um, it it really is a way for me just to to um, make that connection with you with younger kids. So who were like what were some of your favorite comics or even like some of your favorite creators you know growing up yeah so i would go and pick up my my older brother and i and this was probably early 80s 83 84 we would uh, ride our bikes way across way farther than my parents knew we were riding our bikes across town where i grew up <laughs> in ohio and we would go to what's called the coin shop and my brother loved baseball cards, football cards, any kind of sports cards. Um, and I hadn't found my love of sports yet at that point. Uh, so we would go to this coin shop. And uh, it was one of those things where you open the door and there's like the cage. Because you can't just walk in because they've got all these expensive coins and cards and whatnot. So you would have to ring the bell and you, the door would shut behind you. And you're just in like this like shark cage waiting for this 90-year-old man to saunter out from the back room. <laughs> And he'd push the button. He'd like look at you, and he'd push the mat, and you'd open the door. And uh, sometimes you'd miss it, and you're like, "Oh, sorry, sir, I missed the door. Can you?" He's like, "Oh, your kids don't know how to open doors, man." And it was just this old guy, which was hilarious. His name was Jim, if I remember. And uh, uh, we would walk in there. Well, he would have these stacks of Archie comics, of um, the old uh, Key Walt Disney comics, uh, the old um, like uh, Mighty Mouse. Uh, Scooby-Doo, things like that. So, and they would be five cents. And my brother and I had had jobs since we were five years old. We worked as uh, paper boys. So we always had money in our pockets to be able to, and it was cheaper back then. So we would, I would go buy, you know, a stack of Archie comic books and we'd walk across the street to where they had cheeseburgers and malts and we'd sit on the counter. We'd buy a malt and he'd go through his coins and cards and I'd go through my Archie comics. Um, and from there, it really just like snowballed into seeing comics at, uh, like I said, the the, the um, uh, gas station or Circle K, and I would always pick up Spider-Man or Captain America or Superman or whatever it was um, until before I knew it, I had big boxes full of tubs full of comic books. And my parents <laughs> were like, you're buying too many comic books. 
stop buying comic books. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I next day go and buy 10 more comic books. We thought <laughs> you told you not to buy comic books. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. Um, so it, it really was um, my interest of those Archie comic books, seeing words with pictures. Like the the books, I, I didn't mind books, Choose Your Own Adventures, and anything written by Judy Bloom I loved as a kid. Um, but uh, it was that connection between the, the written word and pictures that really helped me to be able to get to the next level as far as, uh, as, far as being an artist goes. And I would copy those. I'd sit and I'd, you know, I'd copy them on the paper and I'd try to make Archie and Jughead and Veronica and, and then graduate into superheroes uh, like anybody and, you know, and that loves comic books and in my situation that loves to draw also. So it was, it really was just 20, 30 years of just refusing to not buy pop comics, even though my parents told me not to. <laughs> and then my wife said, Please, will you stop buying comics? Well, no, I won't. I will never. So right. she it, didn't say that much. <laughs> yeah at a certain point it's just like just just stop asking <laughs> yeah this is what i'm doing this is just what i'm doing right so are there any upcoming comics that you're working on right now that uh that you can tease yeah so i finished issue 25 of the offspring at the beginning of uh, the summer in late june uh published that i got out the uh the volume six collecting issues 23 24 25 our Latin, lightning crashes series of the offspring um, and then I was able to put out the season two omnibus that collects issues 14 all the way to through 25. So the omnibus is out there to go. So I have both omnibus one and two for season one and season two. So I decided to take um, a couple months off of the offspring to be able to get an, a second uh, 100 plus pager graphic novel out. So I started working on uh, a story called Late and Lightspeed. And Late Lightspeed is, is, again, trying to really hone in on those themes about how we see our mortality and how that's linked to our morality, um, how that links to uh, how we feel as people and how we consume, how we consume social media and consume commercials and TV and movies and how we're kind of um, um, obsessed with being a teenager, even if we're 50 years old. Um, so it's that level of, of maybe as a society not understanding the, the wealth of, of getting older, the, the wealth of knowledge of getting older, the, the priority of having that, that knowledge as you get older and still trying to feel youthful um, and not just kind of growing old gracefully, I guess would be the term. So uh, Late in Lightspeed is based off my, my nephew. My younger brother, I say my younger brother, but he's 34, so he's not really that much younger. Uh, uh, he has a son who was me growing up, who was a ball of energy. He would, was jumping around, smashing into things, would come home dirty and ripped, and it was very much me as a kid. So I'm watching this kid as we're, as we're you know, at a family function, and I'm like, that, that kid's character that, that kid is, I need to get that kid in a book because he is not only a ball of energy, he's hilarious. So um, I started thinking about how could I get this kid into a book? So I started thinking about like sci-fi, that kind of stuff. So the story kind of developed at, into a older scientist who um, was trying to develop cloning technology uh, to save um, a race of people who were dying from a pandemic that they had a um, that they did have a cure for, but it started killing off another race of people 
so the pan the so the pandemic didn't stop for that race it it accelerated so this race while everybody has kind of given up on the race they're like well whoops you know there's nothing we can do about it now uh though some of the leaders of this race uh decided to um start started started to divide the devise their own cloning technologies to be able to see if it could help them to be able to restart their race their dying race well they find out that latent light speed uh as an old man has developed this cloning technology that's not only cloning but it's rapid cloning technology uh, to be able to grow a person quickly to be able to get them from fetus to to 20 year old in the span of minutes so they uh, attempt to kidnap him as they go to kidnap him latent light speed who's an older man and and having uh, physical problems of his own has the heart attack so as they're trying to break into his laboratory he's having a heart attack his daughter uh, decides to not only clone him, but to uh, to download his memory, to download his being into the clone, uh, to be able to have another version of him to be able to continue their cloning process. In the process, he's not able to grow to uh, a mature level. He's uh, grown to a eight year old, um, and they had they the machine was busted from there. So the, he now is this eighty seven year old man in the clone of, a, of himself as an eight-year-old who is now dealing with all the thing, all the energy that an eight-year-old would have, but also the mind of an 87-year-old brilliant scientist. So uh, they're on the run from these bad guys who are trying to get them to, uh, to save his race by trying to kidnap him. Um, so uh, it really is a, like a really space epic with a lot of like, uh, um, like uh, spaceships chases and laser guns and, and aliens and all that stuff. And it, it's been really fun. I am on page 68 right now of a 110-page graphic novel. So my hope is to have that out before Thanksgiving. Nice. nice. Uh, yeah, fingers crossed, fingers <laughs> crossed, um, to be able to have that out before Thanksgiving so that by January I can start getting um, uh, season three, episode 26, issue 26 of The Offspring uh, up and going in January. So that's my plan. Late and light speed. It's going to be real fun. I, I had a great uh, um, um, compliment from my editor who uh, has been reading the pages as I've been doing them. And he messaged me and I was on page 25 or so and had dropped them into the box for him to edit. And uh, he emailed me back and he said, I had to read these pages twice because the first time I wasn't editing. I was just flipping the pages to see what was going to happen because <laughs> it was so exciting. It was so exciting what you were doing. I just, I wasn't even editing. I was just flipping the pages to read it. And I said, thanks, man. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So exactly what I'm trying to get, try to do. So, so it was a, a real nice compliment. It really did give me a, a little boost to be able to, to keep going with this. Um, not that I was going to stop, uh, but to be able to keep going to new, know that I was on the right track for a really fun, a really fun read. So do you have any uh, cons lined up in the near future? So I did most of my cons in the summer. Um, I don't have one of the main ones up here is uh, AnchorCon, which is about an hour north of the main city, uh, Watertown up here. Um, and it's a pretty good-sized con. Uh, there are some smaller things in, in, Buffalo, uh, in uh, Syracuse that I do and go to. Um, but as of right now, I think I'm waiting for, for spring to spring back up um, to be able to get to another con. My hope is 
my kids are getting a little older now. My son is about to graduate high school. My daughter's a sophomore, uh, going to be a junior next year. So um, my hope is that as they go out and start to live their lives without uh, the needs of their the need of their parents uh, all the time, that um, I could start to maybe go through the tri-state area and get to at least four or five cons um, a year, uh, which is the plan. I, like I said, I grew up in Ohio, so there's a couple in Dayton and Columbus that I'd like to start going to. There's one in Pennsylvania that I'd like to start going to. Some of the bigger cons in New York City I'd like to start going to. And at this point, I have so much content um, that there's no reason for me not to. So uh, that that is my longer-term two-, three-year plan to be able to really start to hit those cons um, a lot harder than I have been able to. Awesome. So in the meantime, how can people find you online? So um, correcthandacomics.com has links to every book I've ever done. Uh, and you can find it digital and print. Uh, you can find me on every social media. If you type in correct handed, correct handed comics, that blue hand will pop up. Um, and you can find it on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, on, uh, did I get them all there? On, uh, there's another one in there, I'm sure. Oh, X or Twitter or whatever they're calling it now. So um, any any social media, I'm, I'm probably on it in Correct Handed Comics, and it has the link to my website on all my social medias. Go right there, and you can find everything that I'm doing. There's preview pages of upcoming stuff. There's bios of me, and I'm working on getting some of the other bios of people that I've been uh, lucky enough to work with on there also. Um, and uh, every volume of The Offspring that I've been able to uh, to compile Volumes one through six, and then two omnibus collecting seasons one and two. So, been pretty busy over here. <laughs> just a smidge, just a smidge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, one more time, give us the info on Correct Handed Comics. Yeah. So, uh, correcthandedcomics.com. You can find every issue of The Offspring, every uh, one shot that I put out with, whether it's uh, I Won't Stop, Sock Hop Killer, Will Aliens Do My Homework, Shady Lady or uh, Hawthorne and the Clown. So any kind of genre you like, you can find it there. Uh, my, Like you said, my, my uh, novel, full-length novel, Last Ride of Tyburn, if you like westerns, it's a fun one with shootouts and, and fun one-liners and I think a really fun ending that, uh, that people won't see coming. Uh, you can find my four-issue four miniseries, Evolution Utero, which is the story of a superhero before they're born as a fetus being inside of the worst person in the world. So the fetus that's going to be the superhero, his mother, who is gestating the fetus, is the biggest jerk you've ever met. So it's her <laughs> nurture. It's that nurture versus nature kind of thing, how, how parenthood changes a person usually, and how that child um, is affected by parenting. Uh, in positive and negative ways. And then lastly, my one my first 100-page graphic novel, The Loved Ones, which is, um, I'm a huge fan of classic movie monsters, Frankenstein's monster, vampires, witches, werewolves. Um, and this is the story of four, the four children of these classic monsters. So the son of, of a vampire, the son of a werewolf, the, the daughter of a witch, and the son of Frankenstein's monster get kidnapped by a monster hunter and the monster hunter tries to raise these four monster children as his own. And it, again, is that story of nurture versus nature, how being told their whole time that they are the whole for the whole beginning of their life, that they are monsters 
and how monsters should do and react and be and how the the uh, monster hunter tries to manipulate them into being something they're not um and they the children decide to go out and try to hunt their parents um and for some of them it goes okay for some of them it does not go okay um and and it's it's a really fun story that i think uh, came out really well so if you like classic movie monsters you'd like uh, our 100 plus page graphic novel the loved ones david whalen correct handed comics thank you so much for taking time out of your sunday to talk to us this has been a fantastic chat uh and i can't wait to dig into all these titles <laughs> thank you Mitch. i really appreciate you having me on it was a fun time absolutely That's going to do it for this episode of The Geek Awakens. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. It would be a shame if you didn't follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Geek Awakens Podcast or on Twitter at Geek Awakens. Theme music created and produced by E. Cannon Beats. Our logo was designed by Shay McCain. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. We're boldly gone. <laughs>